All right. If you have your Bibles and you would like to turn with me, please turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Let's see here. That's exactly where I was going to start. Yeah, I sent that today. I was trying to make sure. All right. We say the Acts of the Apostles, and that is an accurate description, but it's the Acts of the Church, the Holy Spirit working in the Church. Jesus' ministry that He began here upon the earth of salvation, of life transformation, of a life being consecrated to God, to know Him with all of our hearts, for God's Spirit to indwell His people. What was begun is now continuing. This is what Jesus was talking about whenever He said, you see these works that I do, greater will you do. In other words, this is not only going to have uh, miracles taking place, but it's going to be on this exponential level. You're going to see in just a moment... 3,000 people being added to the church in one day. You're seeing mass, mass conversions. And it's not just that people are, are experiencing Jesus in the sense of coming into contact with Christ for the first time. We are seeing people being transformed in experiencing Christ, experiencing full salvation, okay? Life transformation. And we're seeing it uh, everywhere they go. The Lord is adding to the church daily as many as are being saved that will repent and turn to Christ. But there is something different, okay? Kind of what we were talking about last Sunday, talking about that God is a living God, talking about a living faith, something that is real, not just simply a code of right and wrong, uh, not something that is just simply a religion, you know, something that we ascribe to, but literally God moving upon the hearts of man, revealing himself to man, having a true and living experience with God, and God now working in our lives and working through our lives and transforming the world. But think about this, from one person to the next person, people aren't just be. Coming, I guess you would say, regenerate or saved, these people are actually becoming disciples themselves, disciplers, okay? So disciples of Christ and making other disciples as well. Because why? Because they have had an experience with God. Now, it is true that the apostles themselves walked with Christ, knew Christ, were there when these miracles took place, and therefore they gave eyewitness accounts to everything that happened. These aren't people that say, well, I heard about such and such. No, they said, I was there. I saw him walking on the water. I saw him feed 5,000. I saw him cast the demon out of such and such. I saw him raise these people from the dead. I was there. I saw him walk on the sea. I was there. And even Peter said, and yeah, I walked on it partially too. So they were there. And that's one testimony. But Jesus said, blessed are they that will believe because of their word. They will hear the testimony of these people. That's you and me, not only the people in the early days 
uh, I guess you would say the fledgling days of the church, but that's also talking about you and me. Our testimony is what Christ has done inside of us because Christ is still working today. Christ did not simply just sit down at the right end of the fall and said, okay, forget about it. Okay? He, by his Holy Spirit, continues to work in the hearts and the lives of man. God continues to speak today. Okay, that is, he witnesses to our heart through the word of God, revealing to us and moving upon our hearts with the things that God desires for us to do. I'll share something that's kind of interesting. When you look back at the beginning of Acts, before the day of Pentecost, you remember Peter said, uh, we need to add another one to our number. In other words, God wants there to be another person added to us to take the place of Judas. How did they determine who was going to be the next apostle? What did they do? Anybody remember? They cast lots, right? You don't see them doing that again. You know why? When the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit speaks. He witnessed to them and he tells them what to do at that moment. So we don't have to sit there and say, Lord, please give us a sign or an omen. Now the Holy Spirit is moving inside of his church and telling them, this is what you will do. So, and we see this continuation. So now, on the day of Pentecost, we have this not divisive experience, but a unifying experience. All people, nations, kindreds, and tongues glorifying God together. One people. Out of all these people, there becomes one people. Okay? Then, Peter stands up, filled with the Holy Spirit, with a boldness, we haven't seen yet in him. And he looks at me and says, not only look at me, but listen. Pay close attention to what I'm about to tell you. Because what's happening here today is the promise of your heavenly father. It is the promise of God. The Holy Spirit is going to fill people. And it does not matter your social status, where you come from, how learned you are, anything like that. From the eldest to the youngest, from the most privileged to those that are weakest and maybe most destitute. The promise is to you and to your children, to as many as who are far off, to as many as the Lord God shall call. The Holy Spirit is given to you. That is God's promise. It is called the earnest of the Spirit. It is the witness within you and the proof the witness and the testimony that you are a child of God and that one day you will indeed inherit full, complete salvation. So this person of the Holy Spirit is at the center and also the foundation for everything that we believe in Christ Jesus. Remember, it is the Spirit of the Father, it is the Spirit of the Son. He is. I hate to say it because he's not an it. He's a person. He so, what happens is he testifies and he says, let me tell you about this Jesus. You denied him. You turned your back on him. You murdered him and you killed him. But also understand this, this same person you laid in the tomb, God resurrected three days later and has made him both Lord and Christ. And that's something that he's telling you, you got to deal with. You killed the son of life. And then he tells them, you need to repent. And they're like, what do we need to do? Repent, turn to God, okay? Turn from your sins, be baptized, all of you. And so we begin now in verse 40. So as many as the Lord God shall call is where we let off. 
Now, after this is done, this, these people hear this testimony that uh, Peter is giving. It says, and with many other words, he, Peter speaking here, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Continuation of the ministry of Christ. You remember whenever Jesus Christ was baptized, he came up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descending upon him, the Father testifying from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist looks at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes the sin out of the takes the sin, excuse me, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And then it says, Jesus began his ministry. You ready? Repent, Jesus said. Turn from your sins, turn to God, and believe the good news. Well, guess what the message is now? Repent. And believe the good news. This is what Christ has done. So he says, be saved from this perverse generation. Turn from your sins, return to God, or turn to God. Verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 people turned their lives to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if that resonates with us the way it should resonate, but think about this, people. This is not a time period whenever there's a church on every corner. The church is just now starting to grow, and we're seeing it take off with incredible power, demonstration of the power of God. This right here, people, you're witnessing is the greatest of miracles. That is the changing of the human heart. It is an easy thing for God to split the heavens. It's an easy thing for God to split the oceans. It's an easy thing for God to put arms back on the body. Human beings fighting hair, teeth, and eyeballs not to yield to him. So think about this. At this moment, under the preaching of Peter, the moving of the Spirit of God, 3,000 people say, I'm in it to win it. Okay? I'll give my life. I'll lay down my life for Jesus. So this happens. Okay, verse 42, and it says, they, what happens after that? Here's the big deal. This is a sermon in of itself, but think about this for just a minute. They're converted, yes. They turn to Christ, they're saved, but what do they do? And they continued, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That's a biggie. We've forgotten the whole fellowship thing. But think about it for just a minute. They continued, they remained, they realized that they were a part of something different, that they were part of a body. They realized now we belong to Christ. There was the Spirit knitting them together, which makes us church. So, it says here, continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, so they're listening, being obedient, doing what they're telling them to do. And, and by the way, the apostle's doctrine is simply this. Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. It's the word of Christ. And fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. This is an outline of the early church, what they did. They lived a life of simplicity, of unity, 
They belonged to one another. They cared for each other. They did not just say, hey, this is mine and that's yours. They shared among themselves to make sure that there was not lack in the community. Okay? That's, I'm not telling you to go sell everything you have, liquidate, and give it to everybody else. No, that's not what happened either. What they did was as they had and they could share, when they had more than enough, they would share to make sure that there was not lack among the brethren. Okay? And especially, you, you hear this more and more, especially in the scriptures, widows and orphans. What is pure and undefiled religion before the Lord? You know, take care of those widows and orphans. Remember that? But these people had nothing. They were dependent upon everybody else, uh, you know, begging. Or some women may even turn to prostitution. But, I mean, that was because they were trying to eat. It's kind of hard to condemn a human being for turning to something like that when she's trying not to die of starvation. But moving on, I'm not trying to make one way or another. I just want you to hear me out. So you think about this. Those people needed to be taken care of, and that's what the church did. The church stepped in to make sure that these people are cared for. So they're remaining together. The breaking of the bread also regularly, when they got together, they would have, we need to have the Lord's Supper, by the way, again. But they would have the Lord's Supper whenever they got together. And sometimes that got abused later on. People would just come together and it became a feast. And he said, no, 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 this is different. This is different. So they remained together and also in prayers. But look at verse 43. It says, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They saw the miracles that were done. Now this fear here isn't that people are living in terror, terror and dread of the apostles. What it is is it is a holy fear. It's a reverence. It's a recognition that God is present. Okay, let me, let me, let me give an example here. And we should always be this way. We really should. We should always live in this way. But I'm going to tell you right now, if we were in the service and God just started healing folks left and right, or let's say somebody comes up here without a leg and a leg appears on the guy, okay? Or the lady, whoever needs one. But I want you to think about that for a minute. How would our attitude in this service change? We tighten up. Everybody would. When God steps in, and I'm going to tell you this, this happens for me too. I try, I try to live a holy life. But I'm going to tell you what, I've been some places where I've walked in and I realized, oh, oh God's tangibly present. And you know what I do? Tighten right up. You know what I'm saying? You're in the presence of the holy. And so fear comes upon them as they see God is in his church. He's there. God is in this church. It doesn't matter how long that this church has stood here. It doesn't matter what happened in times past. It doesn't matter about what our disposition or whatever's been going on, whether good or bad. The point is, is in this body, this is something we have to discern. God is in our midst right now. He is here in our midst. People say, well, of course, God's everywhere present. No. Yes, he is everywhere present. He's omnipresent. But God in a very real, it's called an unction. That's that binding together between our spirit and God. But you think about it for a minute. In this gathering, God is in our midst. You say, well, Shane, does that, you know, what are you saying there? Well, let me put it to you this way. God told the Israelites because of their sin at one point, he said, I will not go with you. He said, because I will consume you along the way. 
Now, wait a minute. If God's always there and he's always in their midst, what's the change? God was close, manifesting his presence. And as we get the witness of God's presence, there is the expectation the closer God is, the more in step you better be with him. Because the more God reveals of himself, the more you are held accountable for what you know and what you see. Okay? So I hope that that clarified some things, but sometimes I'm clear as mud. But mud's okay. I've eaten enough mud pies in my time. Oh, come on, people laugh. You need to lighten up. Y'all are out there just, oh my goodness. Okay, fear came upon every soul. There's that holy reverence and fear. They recognized God was in their church because they saw the signs and wonders that were done even through the apostles there. And it says, now all who believed were together. Listen to this again. And had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among them all as anyone had need. So they were trying to make sure everyone is taken care of. Once again, verse 46, so continually daily with one accord. That's that unity there. They're not just in a Honda Accord. Okay, somehow, someway, somebody get that in just a minute. Okay, anyway, so they're daily with one accord in unity in the temple. They're breaking bread from house to house because think about it. It wasn't like they had churches on every corner. You know, when they went to a place of worship, guess where they were going? The synagogue. That's why Paul often is hanging out in the synagogue. But they would get together in house churches and they would worship together. Okay. So, breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They were content. You ever wonder about that scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me? Sometimes we take that out of context to mean, you know, I can do whatever, you know, I need to do. But actually, in context, it says, I know what it's like to, and I'll, and I'll paraphrase, to abound, to have little, to be exalted, to be abased. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to, to, for everything to be going well. I have learned in every situation, listen to it, I have learned in whatever the situation is, to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do it because Christ will give me grace and strength. Okay? So it says in here, they eat their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They're content. They're loving God. They're, they're, they're caring for one another. It's that place where, you know, everybody's right, you know? It's what we strive for in the world, but because of human sin, we, we fail at it. Okay, verse 47, it says, praising God. So the next thing is that they are praising God and they're having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, isn't this interesting? It says in there, praising God and having favor with all people. You remember Jesus said, you know, that if we're loving him, serving him, and faithful to him, that we'll be persecuted. Now, wait a minute. Where is this persecution over here, and where is this favor with all people? Well, think about it. You're going to be persecuted for your faith, but what should people's attitude toward you and I be as they see us live our lives in submission to Christ? They should respect that. They should look at it and say, you know, that's a righteous person. That person's fair. I can trust that person. They live in peace and harmony and with trust and love and respect of other people. There will be that persecution, but we should be people whose lives reflect Christ. Okay, now, where are we? Oh, I got a couple more minutes, a couple more minutes. Come on, got to give me a couple more. 
chapter 3. Now Peter and John. So we're getting another element of this. So Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, about 3 p.m. Okay? So you sound intelligent when you do that, when you say 3 p.m., but actually I I always look at stuff up and I put it in my margin. So people are like, wow, he just knows that off the top of my head. No, I just take good notes. What I do. So anyway, see, I'm not supposed to tell you that. I'm supposed to, you know, stand up here, pastor knows. No, I'm a human being like everybody else, and I study and I learn, and and I try to, to, to hold all this in, but sometimes it doesn't stay there. I have to go back and look again. But here's what's interesting about this verse. Where are they going? The temple. Why are they going to the temple? It's the hour of prayer. Well, you say, well, aren't they Jews in this? It's not. God's people are God's people. Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the fulfillment of every promise. They want their Jewish brothers and sisters to come to know Christ. Then, then, then they've, they've arrived. In other words, they've come to the knowledge of the truth in Christ Jesus. So they're going to the temple because, number one, they want to honor God, but they're also going to that temple to pray, and they have a full understanding of who Jesus Christ is. But look at them. They're being faithful, even now, still faithful to the Lord. And it says, in verse 2, it says, A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried. So if he was lame from his mother's womb, he has never walked. Never. Never has he balanced his body upon his legs, taking his own steps, okay, of his own strength. So it says, A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, Beautiful Gate, to ask alms from those who are entering the temple. In other words, this was his way of trying to sustain himself. They would bring people uh, that could not, for whatever challenge they may have in life, they would lay him there, and that's how he would try to make some sort of livelihood to help out his family or whatever's going on. He begged, please, help me. He was living off the mercy and charity of other people. Okay? So he said at the gate beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Now, by the way, if, if you want to try to get alms, that's probably a good place to go. Now, I'm saying this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I do want you to think about it. I mean, where else would you put somebody if you want to? I mean, you're walking in the temple, and you're like, can I have some money? And like, no, I'm not going to give you money. Well, I'm sure God's going to hear your prayers when you walk in. Y'all, come on, work with me here. You know it's true. I mean, even if I was walking in, and I'd already given him four or five things, and you come walking into me, you're like, well, here, I won't, you know, it's going to be okay. Well, anyway. So he's, he's begging at the temple, verse 3. Who, get this, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them, he says, please give me money. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. Okay, don't just sit there and say, alms, alms, you know, going from person to person. He says, no, we got something we want to say to you. We need you to stop and we need you to look at us. Look at the boldness here. Look at us. Now, I guess I should, should say something. Oh, I've got to stop. But I don't want you to think, and I don't, I, I don't believe that this, this, this is scriptural either, but I don't want you to think that, 
the gift and the power of God is there for us to just whatever we want to do willy-nilly. In other words, I see somebody sick, I guess I'll just go heal them because, it's, you know, the power of God rests upon me for me to do whatever I want to do. No, the power of God rests on you to do the will of God. And the Bible says he, the Holy Spirit, gives his gifts to people as he wills, as he desires. So I don't just get to, for, and I'll give you a prime example of this. If the power of God rested on me and I could just do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do, do you think there'd be any sick people at St. Jude's right now? Do you think there'd be any sick people over here? No. Do you think that, I mean, everybody and their brother would be coming to find a person who had the gift of healing and they'd be healed. That's not how it works. As the Spirit speaks to the hearts of people, as the Spirit of God moves and reveals, so we act. That's what Jesus said he did. He says, as I see my Father do, I do. As I hear my Father speak... He said, I speak as well. I'm moving with the Father, the will of the Father. Okay? In this world, we live in a fallen, broken world that does have sickness, and ultimately people will die. Now, good news, in Jesus Christ, we never truly see death because we pass from this life into an eternal life, but our bodies still die. So Jesus is not here to wipe every issue or problem that we have away, but he is here to save us, he reveals his glory and his power because he is Lord of all and of everything. And at times he will. He will step in and just zap folks as he, would, as he cares to and as that witness will go on to show others the promise and the goodness of God. But that doesn't mean that everybody has to be healed on this side of eternity for God to be good and God to be great. All right. So, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And I've got to stop. You say, wait a minute, Shane, that's the good part. Well, to be continued. All right. Tonight, would anybody like special prayer tonight? Anybody need special prayer tonight? Anybody need to be anointed? Would like to be anointed? Anybody? We're good? And since choir is about to start, I want us to do this. If everybody would stand up and grab a hand of somebody, if you can, grab somebody's hand. I'm going to come up here with the fips. Of course, I don't want to take you away from your phone there. No, I was, no he's got obligations, and I didn't want to. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for our family. We are family. Father, we need you. We always need you. And you're always there. Father, we reach out by faith because you first reached into us. Thank you, Jesus. And we love you, Lord, because you first loved us and reached down for us and pulled us to your heart. Jesus Christ, live in us. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, our Lord and our Savior, live in us and live in this church. Be glorified. May our lives be pleasing to you. May your kingdom come. Your will be done. You're everything to us, Lord. May we live a life worthy of that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Love somebody before you leave. You're dismissed. <laughs>